Hello to our listeners out there and to our guests here at the studio. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Tallinn University Current Events Podcast. We are excited to get to know our guests and to dive into the fascinating world of neurotheater and neurocinema. But before we do so, a brief introduction. We are Christel and Lise. We are a part of an interdisciplinary group of six students from the university's LIFE project. We are honored to introduce our guests, Pia Dicke and Alexander Veljame. Alexander's research journey began in 2007 in Sweden and continued in Spain, Japan, Russia, Austria. Currently, he is a senior scientist at Human Computer Interaction Group at Tallinn University. Pia is research professor in the Center of Excellence in Media Innovation and Digital Culture. She is also a filmmaker and she has been involved in various internationally successful interactive media projects. There is, of course, more where that came from, but let's dig deeper now and learn about neurotheater and neurocinema. Welcome. First of all, it's really, really good to have you here and that you got the chance to join us. And uh, the first thing I would like to ask, uh, let's start with uh, Alexander. Uh, can you talk a bit about uh, neurotheater and, and what it is? And maybe uh, in the sense, how would you describe it to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Well, I'm sure that uh, Pia will uh, add to neurocinema a bit because uh, I uh, got introduced to the topic via her research. So she's a pioneer in all sense of this word uh, regarding this technology. Um, I was interested in media since early days and uh, in, in filmmaking especially. And there I was interested in narratives and uh, how you shape human experience. And during my uh, PhD studies, I uh, gradually acquired knowledge in different domains like emotion processing and then physiology. And uh, that led me to um, to this technology, which is called brain-computer interfaces. So um, I will not go into details, but uh, it's not like machine of reading your thoughts, but you can still detect a number of different signals, which some people use for controlling different devices, like a wheelchair or prosthetic arm. I'm interested in uh, in linking this system to the interactive audiovisual installations. And um, in uh, short, uh, neurotheater for me, it's this uh, new technological theater where you have audience uh, participating uh, in uh, performance, but uh, not using the, uh, you know, like voting system, or, but uh, really uh, by the emotions. And there is interesting concept of this collective brain or collective emotions. And uh, then, yeah, you can see all the theater as uh, some kind of bio-cybernetic uh, system where actors and uh, viewers uh, are all shaping the experience of each other. Basically, you can have a number of sensors which uh, uh, record different physiological activity of uh, viewers. Uh, and also, I think, uh, important part is the feedback. So you can have a feedback via sound, or, but via also uh, tactile interfaces. We have been working with uh, smart textile designers, who, so you can have uh, 
you know, not uh, entering theater, not only having glasses, uh, but you can maybe have a special uh, uh, band uh, on for your hair, uh, for your arms, or or I don't know, even like some special T-shirt in the future. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a combination of recent technologies, mm-hmm. and of course. One thing uh, which would be very interesting in the future, if you think about the smart theater, so when the theater becomes also one of the actors reflecting and uh, analyzing data, so it's uh, like being inside of hell, <laughs> nine thousand computer. It would be interesting to participate in one of one of those. Thank you. Um, let's go to you, Via. Uh, could you tell us about neuro cinema then, and to someone who hasn't heard about it? Okay, um, if you think of the background or history of the word neurocinema, so we cannot mention it without mentioning Peter Weibel, who actually originally um, introduced the concept neurocinema. But he introduced it uh, to, uh, like, um, really to art world, a future art world, where thinking of cinema without screen. So you would, uh, the cinema would be, directly fed into a person's brains. So this was an article he wrote uh, in 1990s. Uh, and then, then the concept of neurocinematics is uh, more to the science science side. So neurocinema as, as such relates to the, uh, using brain interfaces for, for art mm-hmm. pieces. And then neurocinematics is then uh, more referring to a science, scientific study of human mind when you are engaged with uh, cinematic uh, presentations like films. And um, this concept uh, in turn was introduced by uh, Yuri Hassan from Princeton University, uh, Yuri Hassan and his team. So it's important to kind of differentiate between these two uh, paradigms or worlds mm-hmm. in, in this uh, conceptual sense, how these concepts are used. So I'm, I have been engaged with both of them, so both in the arts and, and then the scientific study of, of cinematic experiences. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but really, uh, like um, Alexander was referring to, to my, my background, uh, so um, uh, actually I would like first to mention the inactive cinema, the notion of inactive cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what what relates, um, you know, our interest, both Alexander's and my interest, is in uh, like going back to this um, kind of um, cognitive approach that uh, engages more holistic human experience, of, like embodiment, and then um, the knowledge from cognitive sciences. Mm-hmm. So, inactive cognitive sciences is like in the background of of my interest for for. Um, uh, neurocinematic works also. So I just wanted to mention this term in active cinema because that was also the topic of my, my PhD mm-hmm. that the I defended in 2008. Um, building on this idea that uh, when in the beginning of 2000, everybody started to get really excited of, uh, of interactive cinema. And because my background is in filmmaking, so I was thinking, like, what is this interactive cinema? Like, basically, you don't need uh, editors anymore. You don't need film directors anymore. You just give the audience full power of uh, of uh, editing and creating the cinematic experience. And I started to think that, okay, maybe there would be other ways that you can actually um, involve human experience and view experience to the cinematic experience, but without uh, giving uh, so much control of the content 
to the actual viewers because uh, so that's that's when I started to think of this emotional feedback and biofeedback idea that you track a viewers emotional experience and then uh, the interpretation of this experience is fed into the narrative and then it changes the narrative on fly so creating this kind of dynamical loop that is in the core of, of both uh, in a neuro neuro theater approach and in in also in neuro cinema as understood so um this is kind of the background for and my understanding of these concepts and how they relate to the today's discussion but i think that in a nutshell if i would explain someone what is a neuro cinema is imagine you have a, you see a horror film and then the horror film is perceiving how how scared you are and then uh, fine tuning so becoming more scary or less scary so cinema becomes alive basically Mm, it it becomes a kind of a live performance with the, the oh, we both uh, Alexander and myself we both look at this on on from the dynamic systems perspective so from the idea that uh, that uh, the narrative system it be it the theater performance or visualizations whatever that is a system that uh, can change in, in real time and then you have like a human as as a system or many humans in case of the many audience oh, yes. members and and that forms another system but the difference between these systems is that uh in some sense the narrative systems are predictable so you can build and and algorithmically you know design mm-hmm. how that system um changes in in uh, on the fly but then the human <laughs> Uh, system is unpredictable so kind of a black box and we can just assume how human uh, human uh, viewers might experience those whatever they are get engaged to it <laughs> within this uh, for example neuro theater or neuro cinema we can only assume how they would respond and this is this is also where um, it's really important to refer back to all the body of uh, scientific literature and all the work that has been conducted on 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 science side on how humans experience um mm-hmm. living things how they experience um being there and engaging with uh, with uh, whatever music and and so it's a really important in the art world also to um have some connection also to the actual knowledge body of knowledge that have been accumulated through psychological studies and neuroscientific studies on how humans respond to things mm-hmm. the idea of this horror movie and uh, and participating in it and getting this feedback is very interesting to me because i'm very afraid of horror movies so it would be it's interesting to think what kind of feedback would would my emotions and and my um, uh, mind would send to this uh, scenario um fascinating I don't, i'm not sure if i would want to try with horror movies but maybe something <laughs> maybe some other genre yeah i'm also like in, i cannot watch horror films and even thrillers are bad for me if you have this image where you have like uh, you have a picture of this outside of the of the you know the house where you have lighted window and through the window you see how families there like mother is serving evening meal for mm. uh, you know four kids and you know happy sounds and everything and then you see this character in the shadows outside and next thing you see the door knob and somebody's turning, turning the door it. knob that's that's typically where i switch off if yes. i'm i'm watching tv i switch off so that's my inactive <laughs> response to to that film mm-hmm. so uh maybe if um 
we think of the personalized um, personalized movie viewing uh, then uh, when my heart beats starts to get more you know <laughs> racing racing yeah. and and my uh, skin my skin gets like my hands get all like moisture because of I'm so nervous uh, so the system would kind of put on this relaxing music and and you know Balance the guy is out. walking away and nothing <laughs> happens <laughs> Very, very boring for the for the horror film or thriller film fans, though. Okay, so Pia, you kind of talked about uh, how did you find interest in this kind of subject and how did you get started. But uh, Alexander, when did you find out about uh, Nero Theater and wanted to be a, such a big part of it? As I said, um, when you think about this, this psychology of uh, emotion or even perception, and there is, uh, there is a conference which is called the Cognitive Cinema Studies, um, what you can see in the current development of science uh, and or yeah, behavioral science or cognitive neuroscience is that it's always related to um, to the brain activity also because it doesn't ma- uh, make sense now to to use the methods from 60s about the questionnaires and, and so on so you you end up with uh, going into the physiological field so it's 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 uh, it's kind of i think that neuroscience is penetrating almost every field of uh, human cognition nowadays take like neuropolitics mm-hmm. a new field which is uh, just uh, starting to to develop so using this technology to do a better films that's what uh, my really uh, fascination is it's like how to make people to to really to the point of Catharsis, even though the the catharsis is a ill-defined term uh, nowadays, it's not really used in science. But uh, people like Vygotsky in 1930s, they were putting together these concepts of high emotional experience and release, and and, and showing that uh, the catharsis is very important for uh, relieving the drama, uh, trauma, and um, if you think about art in general that's what is fascinating you know you you don't have to kill someone you just can go to the cinema and experience it from the from the perspective of how it feels to kill someone and uh, and that's what makes art great it gives us the other possibilities uh, without really committing crimes mm-hmm. <laughs> without turning into serial murderers <laughs> like last one three years uh, yes. last film was quite a quite a um, uh, Painful uh, experience as actually to watch uh, because that's about a serial killer and and he shows the killings uh, very um, in detailed manner and in in time that actually takes for a human to die. So it it was pretty <laughs> pretty heavy. But then the last part of this film is amazing because you know you see this serial killer kind of trying to escape from the hell. And you are finding yourself basically in the, in the position that you are kind of uh, you know uh, sympathizing with him. Either he can can go out from the hell or not. Yes, this was this was, <laughs> that, was very was really, very interesting. So what I'm saying is that he's a very clever clever filmmaker. Yes, and and this is uh, something why I'm slightly disagree with what uh, Alexander said about that we can make better films because um, I I I'm of the opinion that we 
neuroscience doesn't necessarily help us to make better films. Uh, it may help us to maybe control uh, the experience of the of the viewers to some extent better, so we can go back to the propagandistic uh, filmmaking. Uh, but uh, for this uh, this thread, I'm always saying that um, neuroscience has nothing to do with with this um, this con making better films or or control con controlling like uh, that we give uh, si science or politicians tools to control human mind better by by using uh, neuroscientific information because um, first of all I'm saying that okay for propagandistic purposes Hollywood has made it already uh, and and they made it already in the beginning of uh, of um, the birth of the cinema um, they realized the power of, of film as a propagandistic machine and this is what happening in totally with, without uh, so far without help of neurosciences of course nowadays uh, in LA for example um, big Hollywood uh, companies are are, are using uh, the the kind of um, neuroscience uh, tools or um, using companies that provide them this information about how people actually experience the films before they let them out but uh, I'm always um, trusting on the on the kind of artistic uh, intuition and also artistic expertise in, in terms of how films are created and how you create stories and storylines based on your own life experience. But then what neuroscience can help and where we can kind of come in with our play tools of, of uh, neurocinema is when we uh, want to, first of all, find out if our assumptions of how people uh, respond to the film were correct. Or So with neuroscience, we can kind of prove if our ideas were correct or not. <laughs> Uh, but then, uh, on the other hand, we can then also introduce the neuro uh, kind of feedback loop to affect the film and the story in some uh, very modest ways. That also uh, brings this this concept of the montage machine and uh, Eisenstein ideas of uh, emotional montage. And uh, you know, if you have a precise uh, system that 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 knows uh, how much different emotions you can feed in then you can basically turn the film into emotional roller coaster but you know this this film slam dog millionaire this indian film where you have a very like positive music and you dancing people singing and then you see this amputation of the the of like children uh, on the street and, and and all this so so it really goes up and down all the time so it's really classical in indian <laughs> indian cinema but when at the same time you can see it as an emotional roller coaster and now imagine if that would be connected to some smart algorithms uh, then it it fits uh, it, it, the roller coaster can be more fun in a way mm. yes it can kind of uh, it can uh, kind of identify the person's uh, personal uh, like experience and emotions and 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 uh, emphasize uh, towards the kind of emphasize as we mentioned in the case of the horror film so more fear or less fear there there are great ways to to use the the biofeedback methods in in cinema mm, i'm just always reacting to that making better films <laughs> because <laughs> my background is filmmaking and i trust an authorship uh, so if authorship uh, involves coders and programmers and and like the team as as a kind of what i call second order authorship where you have a team that uh, get kind of controls from above mm -hmm. the narrative system that changes on fly 
and then controls these uh, experiences of the viewers in another system. So um, yes, this creates an interesting playground for also for authors and, and filmmakers. But to what extent we can make better films, that's, a, that's a still a question. <laughs> yeah, I also looked uh, into the clinical applications related to neurocinema and, um, you know, think about uh, this uh, noradrenaline uh, release. You can think about this, this system of uh, emotional roller coaster to, to train the system to, to get, you know, sometimes people are talking about like this musical drugs or uh, visual drugs. So everybody is uh, using somehow music to modulate the, the mood and emotional mm -hmm. state. So that's... Um, this is quite an important point, uh, a yeah. point which has um, explored quite little in my yeah. understanding that, uh, that, uh, that how strong affect uh, narratives and, and music has on the mood of the person. And uh, so these kind of therapeutical mm -hmm. and, and clinical applications are definitely something that we should develop more and, and look at look at that in addition to creating exciting experiences. Well, cinema and media, you can see that as, a, let's say, you know, think about dolphins which use sound to to see what is in, uh, in the environment and then uh, they, they use echolocation to get back uh, the, the kind of a map of what is underwater and then you know cinematic experience can be seen also as 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 similar system uh, checking what kind of parts of your brain are working and which are not you know you can imagine some kind of special uh, films to detect uh, psychopaths or or uh, rapists and you know it's it can be you created this concept of cinegenetics but uh, we are not uh, still uh, close to to this point but i think that with the genetic uh, research going on uh, and then personalized drugs i think that this is a uh, this is another point to consider that you can you can really make uh, films as a as a kind of echo to to see what's going on mm -hmm. and I, I did research with people with uh, chronic pain like migraine and uh, they have completely different reaction to emotional uh, stimuli mm -hmm. so the the system is suppressed and you can really see that very clearly just from very simple uh, paradigms mm -hmm. so think about the films yeah we we have some really uh, fascinating examples now from the recent history and and the future ideas but maybe you can share also uh, what were the very early days like? How did it begin? I would like to just throw to, uh, for us how we mm, we started, yeah. or or somebody else in the history. Yeah, in the history. Uh, history. I, uh, history. I, of course, yeah. because I wrote my dissertation yes. on Sergei Eisenstein's uh, mm -hmm. theories and film <laughs> theories. So of course, I want to bring his his experiments, which were quite extreme. Like in the early early um, days, he wanted to create this kind of theater pieces where actually people would be really shaken. So he used like uh, bombs exploding underneath the audience seats to kind of get the get the <laughs> uh, effect. Uh, for, for the audience that so this this is um, of course part of that um, going going as far as you can mm -hmm. in order to mm -hmm. uh, excite your audience and and kind of um, also control your audience uh, emotions from the history uh, maybe it's mm -hmm. worth of mentioning the Czech um, Kino Automata 
that was uh, one of the first uh, interactive cinema presentations where um, the audience could vote in between uh, the cinema showing it was kind of stopped and the man came on the stage and asked you know do you want to vote this or that an audience voted and then the next reel was chosen based on the audience vote so mm. this was in 60s uh, Kino Automata and Chris Hales our colleague Chris Hales has has been talking about this um, type of uh, cinema history interactive cinema history yeah I would like to mention also this uh, Czech uh, French artist uh, Pavel Smetana who did the 90s uh, Room of Desires based on similar concepts so he had this room of uh, based on database cinema concepts where you you come in you have some sensors uh, recording your emotional level and then you would be stimulated by different images and then he uh, he told several anecdotal situation where some somebody just uh, ran away from the room saying that you're reading my thoughts <laughs> and then there is another guy who uh, who was a yogi and he was uh, you know stopping his heart so so pavel was really thinking that something is wrong with his system and trying to fix it <laughs> and that the guy was just saying no i'm just playing with you i'm you know i'm full control of your body and uh, right now, are you working on any projects that you could tell us about? One project which I'm uh, working now is more related to empathy and compassion. And I would like to use the system to to train uh, these empathic reactions in people. And it's also based on the ideas of uh, Ellen Lotman. Uh, she had a very interesting observation uh, from films that uh, which use different lighting techniques, so like a flat light versus like a 3D uh, uh, contours, and uh, and and she she had this idea that uh, if we really see people in the film with a flat light, then you have this feeling that they are not really like people, and then your empathic reactions are, are lower. So that 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 brought uh, brought this project to life, and then uh, I have another project now uh, which I'm doing uh, for European Commission. They have uh, already for three years this art science uh, uh, resonances festival, uh, where they invite uh, artists from all over the world, and then they set a topic. So the topic of this year is a big data and. Uh, and I'm doing neurocinematic system uh, for collective decision making and tapping into this idea of uh, political uh, decision making and um, and maybe artificial intelligence. Um, we are still developing the concept, and, but uh, the show would be in Brussels in December. My current focus is uh, in. Um working what I call uh, like triadic interaction model. It's a scientific project actually, uh, where uh, I try to model um, the experience between or interaction between a viewer and a virtual screen character within a context. So uh, so currently I'm working with a kind of biofeedback system that would uh, run or drive an, a human-like uh, screen character within immersive environment like virtual reality settings. So this is a project of uh, funded by 
EU Mobilitas plus Top Research Funding by ETAG. Maybe you both can share um, an example of of some uh, specific experiment and um, how it actually, for example, how does a, if I can say so, neurotheoretical experiment, uh, how does it look like? What do you use? How, what What are the devices or... or how does it look like and how do people react? Well, I can give one example that uh, that currently, you know, people can still see tomorrow. Uh, there is, uh, we had some collaboration with the choreography department here. And uh, out of that um, was born this uh, piece called Trisolde, where uh, you have dancers uh, enacting this 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 story of uh, Tristan and Isolde and the Wagner music uh, is uh, modulated by uh, eight people who are connected to the sensors. Uh, these are very simple sensors, it's uh, just um, measuring the activation, so, so it's electrodermal activity. And then <clears throat> they use uh, granular synthesis, so it means that the more excited you are, the, the, the clearly you, you hear the music. And if you are bored, then the music becomes more and more kind of noise-like. And uh, what I'm doing there, because I was not really conceiving the, the, the piece, it was more done by other people, but I'm using that as an experiment. And we, uh, we collect the data after the performance, and I'm, uh, I'm looking into how these eight people feel themselves, uh, because I already see in the, in the current data, because we already had six shows, that uh, people perceive themselves as a, as a unique group. So they are becoming like a collective organism. That's, I think that what I also like about doing uh, experiments in, uh, in real life is that uh, you can collect a lot of data from people. So you, and it's not like uh, doing it in the lab. Of course, the, the, the bad side is that it, uh, it's more stressful and also um, everything can happen in real life, you know, so, but, uh, that's the kind of beginning. But now I'm concentrating more on, uh, on the audience part, yes. So that, uh, I'm really fascinated about this collective intelligence, especially with, uh, with the development of AI. And I think that we have to kind of, um, come together to, and, and, and we see more and more this, uh, this also these hybrid interactions where people work together with a machine. So that's the current trend. That's, that's a future, future visions. Um, about, uh, so neurocinematic experiments. So I have an experience of working with uh, heavy duty brain imaging machine, uh, functional magnetic resonance image, where people lay in a tube and individually watch a film. And mm -hmm. then we um, analyze the data of several people and try to find how similarly they experience the film. Alexander, you <laughs> mentioned uh, this uh, this uh, collective uh, experience and and how these uh, capturing um, human behavior from in naturalistic environments or environments like where you can actually take the measurements 
outside into the real world. Uh, so this is very um, important and, and crucial uh, work to be done. It has been done too little so far because uh, because basically um, there's there's an afraid of losing the control of the situation, losing control of the data that you're collecting. Uh, but I think that's a minor uh, concern when you think of um, of how different it is to experience something inside a lab, uh, yeah. inside a very boring lab environment, and uh, or then actually experience something in a real environment with with other people. So uh, we are currently running um, experiments with virtual screen characters mm -hmm. um, in in lab environment, actually, uh, measuring um, EEG, their brain behavior, and then physiological me measures uh, in, in terms of um, certain kind of situations that we create for the participants. And, and, and this is ongoing work mm -hmm. at the Tallinn University. And we measure at the Digital Technology Institute a behavioral biolab. That's, um, I think for, for me, it's very fascinating how both of these examples, they also show the interdisciplinarity of the concepts and you, you use the methods that are used in other areas also, like you said, um, medicine and uh, therapies. Yes, I think that uh, real life applications are also important because, you know, neuromarketing is one part, which is uh, which is obviously interesting for media. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, to do uh, to do bigger things and to get neurocinema into the public uh, domain, you need to have uh, uh, really proof that it's it's useful for for something uh, rather than entertainment. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that this behavioral politics, uh, it's one uh, one way to go because uh, you can really assess what people think and also you can educate people and show them that actually many times the decision making is really biased by very simple emotional manipulations. You know, this recent example of Ukrainian uh, presidential elections where people voted for uh, for an actor who was just previously playing a president in a TV series. So people just wanted to believe that, that he, <laughs> they voted for the, the dream. <laughs> and uh, and that's the, this is happening more and more. Tell us a little about the, like uh, who can be a part of this field and what kind of qualifications do they need. For example, if we if we think of the students, yeah. So if we think, for example, students that uh, who would uh, who would uh, qualify for joining our projects. So uh, first of all, we need a lot of enthusiasm and 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 uh, you know interest for uh, for um, both arts and sciences. Um, but uh, something that has emerged during the last last years is um, that we are engaging more and more complex technological uh, tools um, become quite important. Uh, for example, coding, coding, and um, so we are not different from any other other field in the in the world currently. So uh, basically, 
I don't know if this is a good advice to give a young student, but uh, if you want to, you know, do whatever you want in your life, start with coding, programming. Now, there is a number of fields which are <clears throat> very important for this. I, I, I mean, we, we didn't talk about ethical complications, but uh, uh, but for sure, the, you know, uh, these technologies uh, give rise to a completely new way of uh, thinking about what what is allowed and what is not, because you know the, the recent experiments in brain-computer interface uh, domain involve uh, sometimes brain-to-brain -brain information transfer, mm -hmm. so direct information transfer, then uh, the links between humans and animals. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can basically manipulate the, the rat tail or or you can have a hybrids where you can kind of get uh, sensory enhancement by by using uh, let's say uh, rat uh, smell smelling uh, capabilities and so on and then implanting uh, different uh, uh, fake memories that's that's also quite a kind of advancing field so so uh, ethical implications and debate on that it's it's very important and um, unfortunately many times people who does uh, ethical research they are not really prepared for this technology so they just uh, the first answer is no while you can i think that you what you need is a, a proper legislation and uh, and um, you know debate on that and and see what's because it will come anyway sooner or later so instead of, of just uh, forbidding you can just uh, play with different scenarios and, and, and maybe rank them uh, you know in in the sense for example if you you can have several people driving the same car on the same plane with their brain or or kind of shooting someone on distance or it's, it's military is quite heavily involved now on the other side uh, apart from ethics i think that social sciences uh, and anthropology uh, it's it's also a very interesting fields because they give a, a completely different uh, view on on what we can do with this uh, from the application side and uh, so it's it's uh, I really see a neurocinema neurotheater as a research tool and uh, and and it has a, a huge potential so maybe yes maybe better films it's it's of course it's a nice nice idea <laughs> but but uh, as a research tool is definitely a, a viable thing and then uh, apart uh, you know even capable storytellers narratives uh, you know what what Pia said as a second author, uh, sec second person authorship, because it's a quite a heavy paper. But it, imagine you can have a a narrative uh, structure uh, represented by as a three dimensional space. So it means that you you just can't go like you know page by page, but instead you know, thinking about uh, some experiments in literature as well to, to have these interactive narratives and and then you can basically have this 3D space where where the person can move. So you can still as an author set the boundaries but uh, but the freedom is given more and more to the writer mm -hmm. and uh, that that uh, basically uh, creates a completely new field for for people who are, want to create stories. And then the last part, of course, is all these uh, uh, human-computer hybrids, 
uh, or what uh, our colleague Ilka Kozunen uh, working on the on the projects, he called it symbiotic uh, creativity because now as an editor you can be uh, you know linked together with machine and do the editing faster or maybe in the more based on your reactions or reactions of someone else. So it's completely like a neuro editing. As a, as a as a new field, so I mean, there is so many uh, hybrids kind of popping out from there. Not to mention all these uh, ideas of Stanislavski when you talk about theater, where you you know training the actors uh, to 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 act better. You know the theoreticians in sixties already were saying that in uh, that in the future every theater will have physiological lab. And we are now 21st century, and we still don't have any, any even uh, the most cheapest and off-the-shelf devices in the theater. So it's all based on very anecdotal uh, evidence or some kind of a voodoo magic that. Uh, yeah. But you can really train. I mean, with a, with a simple neurofeedback, for example, studies show that uh, you can uh, within a week you can uh, learn how to change the temperature of your body. This is something what Buddhist monks get like after years of training. So, so we can be as a Buddhist monks. So there is no no uh, no fear in uh, in exploring new technologies. Yeah, I think uh, very very good examples, very good points. Uh, something that uh, we could uh, also uh, mention is that when when uh, we think of the position of culture and arts in the future, mm-hmm. so there are many uh, prominent uh, scholars who are emphasizing the idea that in the future, actually, we will need more and more people who are engaged with arts, with culture, because the machines will be basically working with the, with the basic uh, basic. Uh, uh tasks, yeah. tasks of of uh, of uh, kind of running the running the system as such the society and and so uh it's really uh such a project as 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 we are having this uh, neuro cinema and uh, neuro theater projects where we try to build kind of biofeedback with the with the with the human and the machine so um they are part of this uh this uh kind of extension of creative tools mm-hmm expanding the possibility of creative tools uh, to also to understand more of the human mind to to learn more about uh, human behavior and uh, like humans as social beings mm-hmm. maybe uh, if i could go back um, to the ethical uh, aspect uh, maybe bia do you have any examples uh, similar examples of some some of the dilemmas or some of the questions that maybe involve ethics in your field Ethics is really important and crucial part of the of the of the working within the field because mm-hmm. uh, of course we are um, we are saying that we are um, collecting data very intimate uh, data from people we're collecting their brain brain uh, behavioral data and their physiological data when they are engaged with some kind of stimuli and so uh, we need to follow really strict rules. Of, of ethical committees in terms of how who can actually have access to this data, for example, and and how long we can keep this data um, before we need to destroy it, for example, in these experiments. So um, we we can say that the participants, human participants, uh, are very well protected 
within these experiments that are conducted inside universities and kind of this kind of institutions. But of course, then when you think of the social media and how much we expose of our thinking and our brain processes to the world through the social media interaction and and uh, so um, this is another issue that that of course is discussed quite mm-hmm. widely widely uh, how to protect people from from uh, from themselves basically in that sense um, ethical examples um, we are uh, as a researchers we always have to keep in keep in mind that when we wire people yes. then uh, there are there are implications even in the theater performance first we don't really record physiological data because it's not allowed uh, and uh, and then uh, uh, these people who are connected they sign a consent form and they uh, it's all let's say done properly so so they know what to expect and they can always withdraw and, uh, and take out the sensors and so on So yes, this is. Uh, it's not like you know, get a sensor and go. And then there are also these ethic- ethical committees in uh, both in Tallinn and in Tartu. So you can actually, you should apply and verify your uh, your experimental design before you do the real study. That's why we're talking right. about sometimes pilots on ourselves, but. Uh, The more more serious stuff, you know, and nowadays even the journals they don't um, accept papers if you don't have the ethical committee approval. So you can do the study, but if you don't mm-hmm. have approval, you know, it's mm-hmm. wasted energy. Are there um, any examples where people have actually taken off the the sensors and wanted to quit the the experiment? Well, uh, some um, some uh, examples uh, of ethical issues is of course that. In addition to asking the consent and so on and so on, uh, some of the material sometimes is very disturbing. So you have to signal that to the participants beforehand, mm-hmm. like saying mm-hmm. that this may include some uh, disturbing uh, images. So please um, say now if you don't if you don't want to <laughs> if mm-hmm. you are not prepared for such. And and uh, this is important when we talk about from emotional studies where we want to kind of have extreme images shown to people in order to get um, their extreme emotional <laughs> emotional data. Um, data so um in in uh, talking about uh, like neurocinematic experiments like in the fMRI so i have a couple of uh, funny examples of uh, of uh, people who are very energetic when they enter the the fMRI machine and they start watching the film and 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 then they fall asleep <laughs> and uh, and uh, then of course the data is is um, lost lost um, but okay no, there was never a claustrophobic attack in someone um there has been uh, situations where we have already had people like You know, we had heart rate measurement put on and earplugs and everything, and then the person sits next to the tube and realizes that I have to lay down, mm-hmm. and they are going to time kind of lock my head inside this kind of uh, helmet, and then I'm going to be pushed into the tube, and then they say, "I can't do this, sorry." So, but mm. we are always, of course, happy that people say it before yeah. they do before. it, yes. uh, or instead of. Interrupting, yes, but these are 
these are cases um, and and uh, something that in in uh, especially you know neuroscientific experiments we have to scan, kind of ask our people uh, in neuroscientific experiments we need to have healthy healthy people engaging so people have to sign or inform us uh, that they don't have any neurological diseases mm-hmm. or no problems in sight or so or so we are basically working with so-called normal healthy mm-hmm. brains mm-hmm. in this case well it's interesting you you asked about uh, how <clears throat> people react because they always uh, um they they don't really question much they they trust scientists and uh, i remember when i was doing experiments in japan there were like these professional uh, experiment goers because they were kind of provided by a company and then they would just come for a day and uh, do the experiments and uh, and we did uh, studies with electric shocks and people people were you know tolerating all that but then they were complaining later oh. <laughs> but not during the experiment so but this is a japanese culture we already actually covered Uh, several of those examples about um who who benefit from this uh, from both of the research uh, areas for example patients with migraines and and uh, and and other examples maybe we can list some of them again who who and how benefit from both of your researches i think uh, we um like it depends on on the field like uh For example, uh, Alexander mentioned uh, neuromarketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, of course, benefits uh, the commercial uh, companies. Yeah, we talked about entertainment. We talked about uh, medical domain and here, like a diagnosis, but also, let's say, treatment, novel treatment uh, ideas. Uh, I remember you had some contacts with this uh, our uh, hospital. Uh, who uh, in, were interested in VR and then uh, and some kind of training and then of course neurofeedback i mean the definition of neurofeedback is a uh, is kind of training your your brain activity in, in a certain way so training for creativity let's say but this is still not in the, not in the commercial use um then uh, i think uh, these hybrids like these neuro editors neuro composers i also like the the peter weibel's idea i didn't know about this article I, i it's it's funny that it kind of all come together but uh indeed you can think about uh first of all films which are designed for your unconsciousness so it's like a microfilm so you just you see it you don't really understand anything but uh, but you feel good or you feel mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's kind of like uh, audiovisual drugs and then um and then uh, getting it to even more to the to the point of indeed you can have a cinema without a cinema so you can basically it's like a lucid dreaming yeah. type uh thing that you you just you have a chip and then it's uh, and then it's, i i want to see this uh, this experience and then it's uh, it just it just feels like like you are there so 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 direct stimulation of a visual uh, cortex that's uh, that will all come at some moment so then maybe the cinema then will become obsolete mm. 
course, um, uh, of course, we have to also mention that who benefits of understanding more of the human mind and human body-mind system mm. within environment. So that definitely of a benefit for everybody. Mm -hmm. Definitely, we. Um if if uh, if we go back to the specifically the cinema and theater and the experience um neuro theoretical or neuro cinematic experience do you think it it's well at the moment it's definitely in its um, more research phase or experimental phase but uh, do you think it would be one day uh, more of a niche or it could actually be uh an everyday everyday thing and how far would that future be i think pia you should mention that you're supervising this guy from canada mm. who was presenting his work already in Cannes festival and uh, so it's it's not really a lab it's already kind of proof of concept and uh, well um basically it builds on on a similar kind of um, idea that we have already been working with uh, but it is a kind of uh, um, worldwide phenomena that people and artists, uh, filmmakers, are interested in biofeedback and neurofeedback uh, systems. So um, I, I would also like to mention uh, Marilor Kazan and her emotive cinema or emotive VR. She works with uh, EEG. Mm -hmm. uh, mapping uh, viewers' uh, responses and then that changes the narrative. So this type of um, applications uh, are there in the world and, and uh, media is uh, very interested of this and they, they, they get a lot of media attention. Uh, but uh, how to actually uh, create such systems that would then be commercially um, feasible and that they would actually also, you know, earn mm. some profit for the, for the, some companies, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's eventually the question that decides of the popularity of, of these, uh, systems that how can, can, um, exhibitors earn their daily bread yeah. from these systems. Yeah, we forgot about Ellen Perlman, the New York artist who will come to to work with us for half a year now, from June, on her brain opera, and she's interested in making a fascist AI uh, system, also with some neuro uh, neuro interfaces, and she would do some art hack hackathons. So that that would be fun. Oh wow. Uh... So basically, we are on the way. Um, do you want to add anything that we didn't ask or we didn't cover? Well, I, my conclusive remarks would be about that I would be really happy to equip uh, our supernova cinema here in, the, in in Tallinn University with these sensors. So we will have like a first, uh, like real neuro cinema. Mm -hmm. Not not as an installation or whatever, but really as a as a tool for students to to play with. I think that would be extremely cool. It would be really interesting to engage uh, students from yeah. the Italian University who work with audiovisual media and with uh, with psychophysiological uh, tools and human computer interaction with such a, such a project. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely for that. Wonderful. Okay. I guess it's a wrap up then. Yeah, yeah, thanks.
Thank you. Thank you. And that is a wrap with this podcast. We hope you found it interesting and who knows, maybe you can experience it to yourself someday. And a big thank you to everyone who was involved with this ELU project. Firstly, our group members, Anneli, Lise, Karti, Kristel, Marietta and Markus and our supervisor Terry. Also again, a big thank you to B and Alexander for joining us. And definitely go check out the other podcast done by Tallinn University Current Events Podcasts.